Hi, I'm Laura Vanderkam. I'm a mother of five, an author, journalist, and speaker. And I'm Sarah Hart Unger, a mother of three, practicing physician, writer, and course creator. We are two working parents who love our careers and our families. On the Best of Both Worlds podcast each week, we share stories of how real women manage work, family, and time for fun. From figuring out childcare to mapping out long-term career goals, we want you to get the most out of life. Listen to Best of Both Worlds every Tuesday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Vanessa Bayer, and this is my brother, Jonah. And we are so excited to have you hear the latest season of our nostalgia-themed podcast, How Did We Get Weird? Not only do you get to know me and my brother, you get to know the stories that made us the absolutely rad people we are today. Like you, Jonah, who's a music person and also a mental health counselor. And you, Vanessa, who is an actress, comedian, and I think you even wrote a children's book. Wow. I sure did. Check out our episodes where we've welcomed hilarious guests like our friend Andy Samberg. That's it. That's really it. And Queen Casey Wilson. I really went cart before the horse. I said, I think I have an opportunity to interview Leonardo DiCaprio. <laughs> As a high school student. Plus legendary sisters Amber Ruffin and Lacey Lamar. Top. You would pull the bag out and then we would eat okay. the eat all the leftover the leftover chocolate chips, which was a lot. Then you'd roll the barrel oh, up, so to, up the hill. And then one of us would get inside the barrel and they'd push you down. And we've also had an amazing guest like Mike the Miz, Jason Isbell, Carrie Brownstein and Corin Tucker of Slater Kinney, and many more. And you do not want to miss out on our funny segments like Change.Dork. <laughs> Change.Dork. And congratulations, you played yourself. Congratulations, you played yourself. Listen to our podcast, How Did We Get Weird, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. John Stewart is back in the host chair at The Daily Show, which means he's also back in our ears on The Daily Show Ears Edition podcast. Join late night legend John Stewart and the best news team for today's biggest headlines, exclusive extended interviews, and more. Now this is a second term we can all get behind. Listen to The Daily Show Ears Edition on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Go behind the wheel, under the hood, and beyond with Car Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Hi, and welcome to Car Stuff. I'm Scott. I'm Ben. We are joined, as always, with our super producer, Tyler Klang. And I've got to tell you, Scott, I don't say it often enough. Uh, Today's episode has really made me appreciate living in Atlanta. Is that right? Yeah. Now, I know that our traffic is a continuing shaggy dog story with no real punchline, and it's horrible. Yeah. Often. Uh, But... Things could be much, much worse. Oh, they could be a lot worse, and it depends on where you live. I mean, of course, not just in the United States. We're talking about all over the world. Uh, there's some great places to own cars. There's some bad places to own cars and some awful places to own cars, some places where it's almost impossible to own a car. Right. Really. Yet somehow people do. I mean, you'll, you'll, you'll find uh, photographs of some of these cities that we're going to talk about today, some of these, uh, some of these countries that we're talking about today. Mm-hmm. And you'll look at the crowded city streets, and after we describe to you what's going on there, you'll wonder how anybody – manages to get around town in their own personal transportation. Right. So here's a peek behind the curtain, friends and neighbors, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, Typically, when Scott and I are recording an episode, as you know, if you're a longtime listener, we rarely get to everything we want to talk about. Mm -hmm. And typically, after we record, we hang out and shoot the breeze for a while 
<laughs> because we're still into the stuff that we were talking about. And one uh, one day, Scott and I were hanging out around the office, as you do, and we we started thinking about the um, what what are they called superlatives? Yeah, we started thinking about the best places to own a car and how would you go about measuring that, sure. right? Mm-hmm. And we thought about the you know, the opposite. What would the worst places to own a car be? And again, how would you measure it? And oh man, did we find a, a bowl of spaghetti and stats here because we're looking at this today, but we're pulling from a number of different sources and we're using a number of different databases because it turns out that best and worst in many ways are kind of in the eye of the beholder or in the eye of the metric, right? Is yeah. Are we going to say that a country with the most expensive gas is the worst place to buy a car, even though it probably has very well-maintained roads? Are we going to say the place with the highest number of fatalities per capita per year is the worst place to drive a car, but the gas is cheap? You know what I mean? Yeah, sure. Yeah, there's a lot of factors that go into uh, nominating the best and worst places. Now, these are just kind of a uh, a grouping of uh, some, some opinions, I guess. And, mm-hmm. and here's why. Like, you know, a lot of people from around the world have written it. In fact, we're going to follow uh, one article. You know, there's several places we're going uh, going to for this information here. But uh, one of the things that uh, we're going to talk about is the most expensive places to buy a car. Uh, we're going to talk about the worst cities to own a car and why. Uh, we're going to talk about, you know, you've already kind of laid this out, I guess, you know, like with all the different reasons that it can be. Um, you know, whether it's uh, maintenance costs, whether it's, uh, you know, it, just awful government regulations that are in that in that part of the world. For sure, uh, it could be taxes. It could be parts availability. It could be you know, do you have access to anybody that can service your vehicle? You know, maintenance. Um, we've got so many things. Oh, theft is going to come into this. You know, the income of the country. There's going to be a lot of different factors that that go into this. But one of the uh, one of the lists we're going to look at here is the ten most expensive places to buy a car. And that was one that was written in uh, in Jalopnik, I think it was, right? Yeah. And, uh, you know, this is just people from those countries writing in and saying, here's why my country is the worst or why this country that I, I visited was the worst. And uh, so you'll find, you know, some anecdotal stuff like that along the way, too. And we'll throw that in a, l- a little bit. But uh, some of this comes right down to, as I said, you know, the, the, this this bigger um, uh, computation, I guess, of – of of course, you know taxes and insurance and uh, just outright MSRPs that are higher in certain regions than others. Um, it, just lots of different factors that make mm-hmm. one city or one country or one region or whatever it is. However, we break this apart here because we got a lot of ways to look at it. <laughs> um, one way that makes it either the best or the worst in in that grouping of categories. If that makes sense, I know I'm way over explaining this. Probably, no, it totally makes sense. And the only thing that I would add here is the most important part of the show, which is your job, folks. As you're listening, we want to hear your stories. Have you ever had the misfortune uh, to attempt to buy a car in Singapore? Have you? <laughs> have you ever? Uh, where, where's the worst place you ever had to drive? Uh, you know, we want to know. Your experience, and we also want to hear your reactions because you are going to find some surprising stuff. 
Without further ado, Scott, where do you think we should begin? Oh, my gosh. You want to start with the most expensive places? Yeah. Let's do it that way? Yeah, yeah. All right. So let's talk about the most expensive places to buy a car. And this is the one, again, from Jalopnik, if you want to follow along with this. Mm -hmm. It's a couple of years old, actually, but I I like the comments in it. It's pretty funny. (laughs) Uh, And we're going to move on to, you know, a list that covers the most, uh, well, I guess the worst cities and the best cities as well and and how they came up with those numbers and and facts and figures. But um, I like the way this one was kind of laid out is because – For every one of them, for every one of these uh, places that we're talking about, the most expensive places, they try to take something that is kind of um, identifiable to most Americans here as a as a uh, like a base vehicle to go by, right? Mm -hmm. So they took the uh, the 2013. This is done in 2013, by the way. 2013 Scion FRS and. The base price of a 2013 Scion FRS uh, was around $25,600 in the United States. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was, again, a couple of year, three four years ago. I don't know exactly what the price is now, but it doesn't matter because we're still talking about all this happening in 2013. Right. And where they didn't have that one available, because there are some countries where you can't get that. So they took a, uh, a Toyota Prius from 2012, I think it was. And the base price for that one is right around $24,000 back in 2012. So... Again, twenty four thousand for the Prius, twenty five six for the FRS, and if you keep those numbers in mind as we go through this this list, uh, that will be your real eye opening moment when we tell you how much that costs in each of these uh, these places that we're going to talk about. So the first one on the list, Cuba. Right, this might surprise people. So, what is the price of a new Scion FRS? Their response. LOL. Yeah, good luck getting one is what that means, right? I mean, seriously, they, now, we do know that, you know, this, uh, the, the market's kind of opened up, right? It's mm-hmm. been, uh, liberated, as they say, right? Back that, like, what was it, in 2011, I think, is when yes. it was open again. And we had talked about several times the, uh, the, the clever owners there, the clever car owners, how they have taken, uh, cars from the 1950s that were imported there, um, in the, or, you know, brought in from the United States in the 1950s. They're still using them as daily drivers because they haven't had anything newer to, to choose from, really. Right. Uh, you know, there were sanctions against them. We were mm-hmm. There's no trade happening between the two countries, the United States and Cuba. Now, they were getting cars from other places, but you got to remember this is a communist-run nation, and prices are jacked way up and incomes are way low. And corruption was also super high, similar to what we saw in our earlier examination. Uh, I think we called it Cars of the Iron Curtain. Cars Behind the Iron Curtain. Something like that, yeah. What we found is that um, due to corruption and due to some corner-cutting and manufacturing standards, a lot of those Eastern European vehicles in that market were either unreliable uh, or impossible to get unless one was connected to the ruling party. Yeah, you were put on a waiting list that was years long. I mean, you might you might have to wait seven or eight years to get a, uh, you know, just a, a run-of-the-mill um, whatever, a lotta or right. something like that. Because the deputy minister of so-and-so's son or cousin or wife would be consistently jumping ahead of you in line. Uh, always, always. And so, you know, that seven-year list that you're on might even be lengthened at some point. You're, mm-hmm. not, you're not likely going to get it sooner than that. Uh, so, yeah, it's, it's pretty pretty difficult to uh, imagine driving something brand new in Cuba, that, you know, with the, the prices being what they are. Now, they, they, again, this is one where they don't actually have the cost of it because it's just not available there, right. even now. So we're talking six years later. Um, and they use a, they do, in fact, they do use a Lada for an example. Uh, so another communist vehicle, of course, mm-hmm. an import. Uh, but a 1970s Lada is about 12,000 U.S. dollars in Cuba right now. Mm-hmm. 12,000. Take a look at a, uh, 
take a look at a 1970s Lada and tell me if you think that's worth 12,000 US dollars. And ask yourself about the cost of maintenance because we've said it before. <laughs> we'll say it again. Uh, Cuban mechanics are the real deal. Oh, yeah. These folks are MacGyver's made flesh. Absolutely, yeah. So, you know, of course, you're looking for reliability in a car. The good thing is that they do have – uh, you know, these, these incredible mechanics that are, you know, just ingenious. They can, they can make parts out of wood that they need. You know, they, they do all kinds of crazy things to keep these cars on the road. And we've discussed that at length, you know, with, with, uh, uh, cars. I think we did a Cuban cars episode maybe or something like that too. And, right. um, just the, the, uh, the, they're so clever with the way that they can replace and keep these things on the road. It's just, just amazing. Then keep them looking good still. Um, next one on the list. This is probably no surprise. Number nine, the Democratic People's Republic of Korea, conventionally known as North Korea. Mm-hmm. Now, again, okay, we're starting out kind of rough here, but uh, the price of a new uh, Scion FRS, you can't get one again. There's just, you just can't do it. You can't put a financial price on it. Literally, it depends upon your standing uh, – you're standing in the hierarchy, in the inner circle hierarchy of Pyongyang. It, it, it ultimately boils down to whether the administration, or should I say the regime, cares for you. Uh, Kim Jong-un has to approve it, or his cadre has to approve it. And we saw this great write-up here that essentially says most people cannot actually buy a car. The car market is pretty much subject to government whims. So good luck with Fuel rationing and something a lot of a lot of folks in other countries don't have to worry about, which would be travel permits. Yeah, yeah. So you have to worry about uh, some some additional things aside from just routine maintenance, keeping the gas tank filled, that type of thing. Right now, yeah. gas gas tank filled. I mean, that's a huge deal with gas ra- gas rationing happening. Sure. But you know, essentially, what we're saying is the cars are kind of for the elite. Now there are they do have other cars. Mm-hmm. But they're not something that you necessarily would want to drive. Right, right. There are some uh, Soviet uh, era. I guess these are Soviet descended. I guess would be a better word. Yeah, because they're making clones of Soviet cars. Mm-hmm. So, you know, like the picture in, in this. I mean, this, this one's kind of dressed up like a Mercedes in this. In, in this but image. it's obviously it's not. not. It's not. <laughs> definitely not. Uh, but it's like a, a clone of the Gaz uh, Fifty One. That you can, you know, like a pre-war Soviet car, I guess. You know, mm-hmm. something. I think it's a light truck, actually. Yeah, yeah. it's uh, it's modeled off. Yeah, the Gaz Fifty One's a light truck. Uh, the name for this would be Mercedes. Is the Pyongyang Four Point One Zero? There's there's another thing, and I can't remember if we talked about this on air, Scott. Uh, there's another really interesting automotive phenomenon in North Korea. I, we must have. We must have. I think we have, yeah. Yeah, and that is using wood as a source of fuel for vehicles. Yeah, instead of gasoline. So these are these are wood-fired vehicles. Yeah, uh, not not all of them. No, but, uh, but there's a, uh, a wood-gas conversion uh, that happens there, like the trucks at least. Yeah. A lot, a lot of the uh, heavier trucks are wood gas powered. It's a crazy world over there in North Korea, isn't it? I mean, there, there's some really interesting things happening because, and I, I don't know if I should believe this or not, but I kind of do, mm-hmm. based on what I do know about the current leader there. Right. All right. So here's the, here's the story that uh, that someone had written in here. Oh, this is spooky. Uh, yeah. Now, so tell me if you think this is true. But right, this because we said everything kind of relies on these government whims, right? You right. Know, whether you're allowed to drive, whether you're not allowed to drive, what you can drive, etc. So one day, one day, uh, Kim Kim Jong Il was so irritated by having to to wait behind a Japanese car in 
I, they said what must have been the only traffic jam ever in North Korea, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess it was a little different time, a few, even a few years back, but this is Kim Jong-il. Mm-hmm. And um, he, uh, he noticed that the car in front of him was a Japanese import car. And the, he immediately after that ordered that all Japanese cars were to be confiscated and just removed from the country. Do you believe right. that? I, so, you know, you don't know if that's really true or not. I mean, it's one of those things that we'll never probably really find out until maybe, what, they collapse and everybody gets in there to kind of look at what's really happening or what's happened. Right. Um, you know, people aren't afraid to talk anymore. Uh, it's just an, it's a really it's – it's an interesting, scary place. And I really appreciate you saying this, Scott, because that's one thing that I think escapes a lot of us, especially in the Western world. Uh, many of the stories – told by about North Korea, many of them are propaganda yeah. uh, coming from South Korea or in some cases coming from the West. Now, I am not in any way saying that it is not a horrific place because all the evidence, including satellite imagery, conclusively proves that it is. Mm-hmm. That is no longer an opinion. That is an inarguable fact. Uh, however, we do have to use critical thinking when we hear some of the stuff and Scott and I can assure you that, uh, yeah, you don't want to buy a car there. You can't buy a car there. If you do, it's probably a state or military function of some sort. You're it's, probably an official. It's likely something you don't even want. I mean, it would be a luxury for somebody to have one there, and, honestly. Yeah, and you are um, you are automatically in a very dangerous position. Yeah, sure. I would, of course, take, I would take a bicycle. <laughs> yeah, well, everything can be taken away from you, right? I mean, right. It, it just at a moment's notice, it can be confiscated, taken away. All right, let's move. Let's move on to something yeah. a little bit brighter, but uh, but yeah. also equally bad for car owners, right? Yes. Number eight, Saint Kitts and Nevis. Yeah. Okay. Now this is a, a two island sovereign state that's in the West Indies in the in the Caribbean area, and so it's just if you want to think of it this way on the on the globe, it's it's just south and east of Puerto Rico. All right, so that's where we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Really tiny little island nation, or nation, islands nation, maybe. It's two islands. And uh, the price of a new Cyan FRS, if you were to get one there, well, you can't get one there right now. That's the, that's one of the problems. Okay, so that's three in a row, right? They yeah. can't get a Cyan. But, but they can get, they do have a 2012 Prius. Oh, boy. Get this. The price, $171,405. And that was in 2013. For a 2012 model. And that is almost entirely due to import taxes. Isn't that insane? So this is like a, you know, it's like a, a Caribbean paradise, right? I mean, it's mm-hmm. a beautiful place. Uh, but the thing is, like, yeah, import taxes and uh, just, I think, man, God, who knows exactly what's going on there. And I know that when we went to, uh, I've been to the, the uh, You've been uh, everywhere, South Pacific yeah. and uh, it was on this, <laughs> I was on Bora Bora and to get a car or truck or boat or anything there. It, I mean, it was like a six or eight month process. And mm-hmm. I talked, I talked to a guy that owned a resort there and he was, he had a boat and I know I mentioned this boat. He had a, a speed boat and he said it took him like eight months or 12 months or something to get it there. I can't remember exact, the exact date, but it was a, it was a stage prop that was used in David Copperfield's show in yeah. Las Vegas. Yeah, yeah. And so he has this boat there. It's the end of the dock. It's got a cracked engine block. And he said, there's no way I paid. You know, you told me what he paid for it, and it was like a, it was a crazy amount of money. It wasn't that expensive to buy it. The crazy amount was to have it shipped because it had to be crated up and shipped. Even though he's on an island, mm-hmm. they can't just drive it to. You can't you know like drive the boat to him. Yeah, have to crate it, put it on another ship, and then and then uncrate it, etc. It has to go through all the customs and everything that it has to do. I mean, it's months months worth of process. Mm-hmm. Expensive, ex- and, insanely expensive, and that 
that applies across the board because if I remember correctly, you told me that you were in contact with this guy via email before you left the states, and he asked you for a big favor. Yeah, he did. This is a, this is how crazy. This is how hard it is to get anything to an to an island like that. That's kind of isolated, kind of out of the way. He needed a cord for uh, I think it was a MacBook or something like that, right? A cable, just a simple cable that you can pick up at any Apple store. I, I don't remember what it was exactly, but it was like it was like a hundred dollars or something, yeah, right? Yeah. And he said, "Can you please just bring me this? This is some guy I've never met, and he's emailing me, you know, two weeks ahead of my trip." And I'll give you the cash. Yeah, he says, "I'll give you the cash when you get here. It's no problem." But I'm thinking, like, oh, this is kind of weird. I don't, you know, I was, <laughs> I was thinking it was a strange setup right from the beginning. Like he was going to scam me in some way. But you know, then again, I'm going to stay at this guy's place, so. I went ahead and did it, and everything worked out fine. But then that's when I got the story of how long it takes to get everything. And he said this cable would have cost me, you know, six times what it cost you, and it would have taken me, you know, three or four months to get it. Minimum. Yeah, it's just it's insane when you think about things like that. So this St. Kitts and Nevis, uh, you know, being on this list, I guess, and, and kind of uh, well, kind of high up, I guess, at number eight, um, it doesn't really surprise me, you know, that, uh, that it's really difficult. It's it's tough to get a new car to. Uh, you know, an, an island nation like that. I mean, it's really right. difficult. Getting a used one in there would be even even tough. But and in in addition to the difficulty, one thing that's very important to note is that they they being the government of this country have to take concrete steps to artificially limit the number of vehicles on the island because mm-hmm. they're not making any more new land no. in St. Kitts and Nevis. No, they don't want to overcrowd it, right? Right. And that could happen very, very easily because this is uh, this place has a very strong tourist industry. Uh, it's probably a great place where a lot of people retire. Mm-hmm. So they're fairly well-to-do at that point. Yeah. We're, <laughs> uh, we're both chuckling because my, uh, my Tennessee accent came out when I tried to say – uh, well to do for a second. So I had to, I had to use the magic of editing to take it back. Uh, that happens. You should leave that in when that happens. That's, uh, that's charming. Uh, that's charming. Well, uh, all, all applause due to, uh, Tyler Klang, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for saving the show, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> so what's next, Scott? Oh, next on the list. Uh, let's see. It would be, the, oh, this is kind of a surprise. The United Kingdom. So, uh, in the United Kingdom, a price of a new Scion FRS it's going to ring in around $39,031. Okay. That's not, uh, that's not too much over what we're talking about, right? But mm-hmm. the thing is, okay, uh, used cars in the United Kingdom are cheap. New cars are not necessarily cheap. So it's still a little bit more than we pay here in the United States for the same vehicle, right? Uh, but used cars are cheap because they're right-hand drive and then they can't be sold or used practically anywhere else in Europe. Uh, but that's not the truth for new cars. When it comes to, uh, like insurance, uh, they, they completely wipe you out. Insurance is where you pay a, a ton of money for this. So, um, it's not necessarily that the, the new cars are marked up. It's just that the new car insurance rates are so high that you're practically unable to, to afford it. Now, even, that's even true with used cars, uh, to some extent. And there's an example of that here. There's a, uh, a writer that wrote in to, uh, Jalopnik again and, and gave an example because it's somebody from the UK and says, um, yeah, I'll just read it. I'm currently struggling to buy a second-hand use or second-hand car in the UK. The cars themselves are dirt cheap, but the insurance for a 28-year-old male uh, who has only been in the country for two years is just terrifyingly expensive. To insure an elderly 2.0-156, now I'm guessing that's a, um, they don't say here, but I'm guessing that must be an Alfa Romeo 156. It has mm. to be. Um, that's just a sedan, really. It's just a simple, simple vehicle. Sure. I think maybe Coupe, too, anyways, but it's a smaller car. 
Um, he says, if I don't, if I don't lie on the insurance to the insurance company, it's going to cost me between four, uh, 4,500 and 9,000 euros. And I've done the tr- you know, uh, translation for that, you know, like what that amounts to. That's about 5,300 US dollars to anywhere about 10,600 US dollars just to insure the car for a year. Yeah, insurance that's, is massive. That's unbelievable. So, and the car itself, if you're thinking like, well, this is some kind of fancy Alfa Romeo, right? Yeah. I, it's not. The car itself would be worth about 1,000 euros. So that's only about, uh, if US dollars, that's about $1,200, mm-hmm. maybe a little bit less. So we're not talking about anything ultra fancy. So when you see, you know, somebody rolling up in a brand new Lamborghini in the United Kingdom, uh, you, you have, any idea what they're paying for insurance for that vehicle. That's that's where the money is coming from. I mean, I know it's expensive to buy something like that, but there's a lot of supercars. There's a lot of really nice, um, you know, luxury cars that are there. We see sure. we see video of, of cars in London all the time, you know, just, uh, you know, random YouTube videos or wherever on different mm-hmm. blogs and things that I go to. Uh, there's some really, really nice cars that are rolling around London. Uh, yeah, I mean, I guess all over the UK, really, but... Um, Beautiful, beautiful cars, and they're paying through the nose for the insurance on those vehicles, not yeah. just not just the new car price. And so, London is a fi- is a financial center of the world. There's no no bones about that. But along with that comes tremendous living expenses, and automobiles are no way immune. Remember, it, it seems like every time we read about a really nice supercar in London, or every time we read about wasn't there that one guy who bought a parking deck? Yeah, yeah uh, that's right. The every every single time, I might be exaggerating. Let me just say nine out of ten times in our experience, it seems that the people who own these cars and ultimately foot the bill for them, including insurance, parking, maintenance, all that slow jazz, they're they're from a foreign country where they are uh, massively wealthy. And they would just rather hang out in London. Yeah, so it's uh, it's the cost to play there, I guess. And yeah, right? it feels like the average Londoner has no chance of it, having a really nice car. And it's not just London either. I mean, we're talking about the entire United Kingdom. True. So I don't know if this uh, this reader is from London, you know, in, in particular, but somewhere in the United Kingdom. And so, I mean, all over that region, it's it's difficult to uh, to own a really difficult to own a new car. It's even well, it's still even tough to own a used car just because of the insurance mainly. But, uh, you know, then they've also got the fuel. They've got high fuel costs there too, I think. You know, per, the price per liter is still expensive. I don't have today's numbers or anything on me right now, but it's got to be up there. It's, it always is. It's always very high there. So um, that's a tough place to own a car, United Kingdom. Speaking of tough places to own a car, how about number six? Yeah, let's do number six after the first break from our sponsor. Hi, I'm Laura Vanderkam. I'm a mother of five an author, journalist, and speaker. And I'm Sarah Hart Unger, a mother of three, practicing physician, writer, and course creator. We are two working parents who love our careers and our families. On the Best of Both Worlds podcast each week, we share stories of how real women manage work, family, and time for fun. We talk all things planning, time management, organization, and more. We share what's worked for us and our listeners as we're building our careers and raising our families. We're here to cheer you on as you figure out how to make your days even more amazing. From figuring out childcare to mapping out long-term career goals, we want you to get the most out of life. Listen to Best of Both Worlds every Tuesday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
I'm John Seifer. And I'm Jerry O'Shea. We spent over 30 years in the CIA uncovering global conspiracies. Conspiracies aren't just a theory to us, which is why we started our podcast, Mission Implausible. Everyone has questions about conspiracy theories, but with our background, we can actually answer those questions. We break open modern day conspiracies and tell you which elements may be the real deal. Like, did Bill Gates use COVID vaccines to microchip us all? We all do have tracking devices. Mm -hmm. We carry them around. We spend a lot of money on them. And what's actually on Hunter Biden's laptop? You are talking to the guy that has three of Hunter Biden's laptops and cell phone. And what did the deep state build under Denver airport? Do you think there are secret bunkers? That's just on my list of questions I have about Jesse Ventura. It's our mission to get to the heart of these conspiracy theories and figure out the why, the how, and especially the if. Listen to Mission Implausible on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. I'm excited to announce a new season of my podcast, Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. Our guests this season remind us to embrace change and fearlessly look toward the future. Like Andrew Jarecki, award-winning filmmaker and creator of Movie Phone. The studios didn't really control the theaters. The theaters didn't control the studios. And I thought, well, there's a window in here where I could make things easier for the consumer and also make something that would be very useful for the industry. Or Kellen Kenny, Chief Marketing and Growth Officer at AT&T, who installed fiber in customers' houses rather than leading from afar. It is so crucial that you spend time with the customers. That is the best lesson. In these exciting times, we're looking to the math, the strategy and analytics, and the magic, the creative spark more than ever. Listen to a brand new season of Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. And we're back, Ben, and we were just about to talk about number six on the list. So you cannot buy a new Cyan FRS in Brazil. However, you can purchase a Prius for the sum of $36,559. That's right. Yeah, so it's, uh, it's quite a bit more expensive than the 24000 that we talked about um, initially. And there's a good reason for this. Brazil is, uh, is just a ridiculously expensive place, again, to buy and own a vehicle. It's The taxes and fees are over 100% in some cases. Uh, there's a poor selection of cars, but uh, the, the person that wrote in and suggested this one says that the selection is getting better, they have to admit. Um, okay, the overtaxed and overpriced gas. Okay, so I, I had looked this up, right? Because I was thinking, well, how expensive can it possibly be? And it's, <laughs> yeah, I was thinking, and I initially was really startled by the number, but I'll tell you what happened. I, I forgot to convert it to U.S. dollars. I was looking at, um, I think it's called the Brazilian real. Is that the currency? Mm -hmm. The real. All right, so spelled R E A L. Um, it's about 3.94 uh, Brazilian reals. <laughs> Per liter. I'm going to try to get the, get through this. Uh, so that's about a dollar twenty one U.S. per liter. And of course, there's almost four liters per gallon, so it's three point seven eight. So I did the the conversion. I came out with uh, uh, fourteen point eight nine, but that's actually I was thinking dollars at the time, right? I was thinking right. I was thinking no way they're paying almost fifteen dollars a gallon for fuel, but that's not that's not the truth. The truth they're paying almost fifteen 
Brazilian reals per per gallon. So that means uh, it's approximately four fifty seven per gallon right now, and that is a, an increase. I mean, they've gone way up in the last year. No, uh, so, so yeah. petroleum is very expensive. It, it this is coming from a place called globalpetrolprices.com, dot com. If you want to look it up for yourself, yeah. And I I feel like it's important to add something here because everybody listening in probably in Western Europe just went, I wish I could, you know, pay less than. $5 a gallon sure. gas, right? Yeah, sure. But this comes with, you know, a wealth of other problems. Brazil yeah. has the mixtape of reasons why it's <laughs> expensive. Well, yeah, another one is bureaucracy, right? And there's mm-hmm. a lot of that that goes Legendary. on. Legendary. Yeah, of course. And uh, we talked about taxes already. There's tax and fee, there are fees that are over 100% for some of these vehicles. So imagine getting that, you know, that Prius for 36.5. And having to pay 100% tax on that, on top of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know that's maybe not necessarily the case everywhere across the board, but there are places where that is the case. It does happen. So it, just as an example, um, if you look at a uh, – okay, here's here's a one where they did like a, um, a U.S. comparison to what they have there. All right. So in the U.S., a uh, – and this is back again, 2014. This is even a 2014 number because it was in 2013. Mm-hmm. So a Toyota Corolla from tw- you know the year 2014 in the United States – Started around sixteen thousand dollars, and they consider it a compact car. No mm. argument there, right? In Brazil, uh, the, the Toyota Corolla for twenty fourteen had a twenty five thousand dollars starting price, and they consider it a luxury car. So, how do you think they're going to tax a luxury car versus a, a compact car and a right. car? That's that's one of the games they play. They they relabel things mm-hmm. uh, to what they're not. I mean, it's I mean, they're that's considered a luxury car, a Corolla. I mean, I don't, I don't see that. I just don't see it. But I mean, guess maybe that's one of the nicer cars there at that time. Yeah, that's the possibility, but it's still not a luxury car. Oh, and of course, we we do want to point out. I think we said it earlier that this information may have changed slightly because it came from a few years back. Yeah, not too many years back. No, no, no. Uh, I, you know, I'd like to introduce number five just by reading a quote and asking everyone to guess. Uh, <clears throat> and I'll, I'll modify it so the answer is not in the not in the quotation. For number five, when car makers organize the first drive events for the press, they leave this group for last because they will smash the cars anyway. It is a given. Oh boy. Hmm. Mm. Now who fits? That? That's a stereotype, of course. But it, but they're saying that it's true, right? The person that's they're saying this is a fact. This is what happens when they do the car ride and drives. Number five on our list is China. Yep, China. All right. So here's the thing about China. They've uh, they're they're relatively new to having cars. If you want to look at it that way, I guess uh, they have a lot of uh, motorcycle transportation. They have other stuff, but they get they get a lot of new cars now. They get, I mean, they'll have special editions that are made just for China. As a matter of fact, but they're really, really expensive. If you mm-hmm. get a car in China, we've talked about Chinese cars in the past too, Ben. We have an episode somewhere in our history of uh, Chinese knockoff cars. You know, the ones yeah. that look exactly like, uh, let's say, a BMW, but they call it something else. It's made. I don't remember the company names for any of these, but uh, they have something that looks exactly like a smart car, but it's not a smart car. It doesn't have any kind of the uh, like any kind of the safety features, or doesn't have any of the crash standards, and it may not have the performance if it appears to be a muscle car. Yes, yeah, exactly. And they build and they do build stuff like that. Now, if it's not a knockoff, it's probably you know it's going to be the real deal, and it's going to be expensive. And they do, as I said, they make special editions of some incredible supercars just for China. So, right. you know, you can get a Pagani, you can get a Lamborghini. There's even, you know, like Grand Cherokees, BMWs. Um, 
there's one. I, I'm, I'm going to struggle with it. I think I've said this name on this episode or on this uh, show before, Ben. What's that? There's a company that makes a limousine there the, called the L5 Limousine. And the company's name is H-O-N-G. That's, that's Hong, right? Mm-hmm. And then Q-I. H-O-N-G-Q-I. Hong Chi. Oh, okay. Maybe. I was, <laughs> that makes more sense. You know what I was going to guess? What? Honky. <laughs> Isn't that right? No. QI? That's no. it's key, right? No. It's chi. <laughs> I think it's much more funny if we say it's the honky limousine. <laughs> the honky limousine. Yeah, the, the L5 limousine from, oh. hon- from honky. Oh, boy. That'd be great for their U.S. sales. <laughs> Anyways, this thing looks like – I mean it, it looks like a uh, a retro Rolls Royce. It has a uh, like an older look to it almost. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, stately. But it's, but it's like $800,000. So it's expensive. And, of course, the you know the supercars that I was talking about, not, right. not the Jeep and not the BMW. But, you know, like Lamborghini and Ferrari make something for them, too. And, again, those are special edition cars that are just for China. They're for a for sliver of the population. Very, very they're, small. They're far, far from the reach of the average uh, Chinese national. We should add there's another thing happening there uh, that is lending to the expense of cars. And it goes into government regulation. I know you and I have mentioned this before. But uh, doesn't China have the license plate system that restricts driving to certain days of the week? Yeah, I think it does. Just to combat the tremendous pollution problem. Sure, yeah, yeah. So there's a lot of vehicles there. And, you know, they've started switching over their uh, their motorcycles and mopeds and, and you know, their, their get, little get-around vehicles that are two-wheeled to electric. So there's a lot of electric vehicles that are in use now in cities there, too. Um, but, yeah, it's a, it's a strange market. It's a big – it's a it's a big market actually to get into for automakers, but the problem is again, uh, same with uh, the number ten. Uh, you know, one uh, one on our list here, are countries on our list. Uh-huh. Uh, it's a communist-run nation, and you're going to have to deal with you know these these rules that can just be changed at a whim, and say you know that's that's how we did it last week, but we're not doing that this week. Right, right. You you can't even drive to the place where you're supposed to bribe someone because your license doesn't let you drive on Wednesdays <laughs> or your tag. <laughs> What an example! Yeah, okay. So, I know. Okay, I'm, uh, I'm I'm milking it a little. I understand, but yeah, it's a it's a it's a different world than what we're accustomed to living in. Really, I mean, really, it's it's completely different. So let's say that we are. I like this idea hypothetically of you, Tyler, and I just hopping around the world trying to buy a car somewhere mm-hmm. somewhere that we're not used to. Sure. So let's say it didn't work out for us in Beijing and we travel to Nicaragua, uh, number 4 on the list. Yeah, okay. N- really not a good not a great idea to travel to Nicaragua. We for should a car. have done some research in advance because it does turn out that you can buy a Scion there. But oh, they they won't tell you the price. We don't know yet. Yeah, <laughs> they won't tell you the price of it. It's just it's probably an outlandish price because this is one of those Regions, I guess, where you're going to spend, like as someone wrote in here and said, you're going to spend several thousands of dollars for a twenty, you know, plus year old beater car. Mm-hmm. You know, something that's that's ridiculous. I mean, maybe even you know the amount that it would cost you for a new car. That's how that's expensive this place is. It's kind of like um, it's pointing, it's painting rather a a pretty bleak picture of. Uh, the overall car market, I guess, in all of Latin America. Well, will you please, it really uh, is. Oh, yeah. They were like, it's it's uh, even worse than Costa Rica. Yeah. Right? <laughs> um, Scott, could you do the show a massive favor and please read that quotation of what happens if you do manage to own a car? Oh, okay. So if you do manage to own a car, okay. So let's say that if you do, if you can, if you can even afford a car, which most people there can't, if you do own one, expect to A, 
it'll, it, of course, it'll break down constantly. Right. Course, right. That'll happen. And then B, it will get stolen almost immediately. <laughs> it says forget buying a new car because there simply just aren't any there. Even if it were, the uh, the import tariffs are so high that you can't because you're broke. And that means that overall the uh, the level of income there is pretty low. Mm-hmm. And that hap- that's, that's happening all over the world. There's a lot of places where income levels are low, but they're still able to get – you know, vehicles, they still have something, but it sounds like, uh, this, this again, pretty bleak p- picture of what's going on in Nicaragua and really all of Latin America. I mean, it's not, right. it's not a great car market. It's not a great place for someone to own a vehicle. And I mean, probably even like the, the old work truck that's in this photo here, that's probably worth a fortune, you know, and it's something that's making money for the, uh, the person that owns it. That's a sensible choice, mm-hmm. but you wouldn't want to get like, you know, something that's just a, uh, like a second car for the weekend or something. You can't do that. And we're, I'm laughing at the language here, but this is a real and serious problem. Uh, Car theft is common in so many Central American countries. I can't speak to uh, South American countries because I haven't traveled there yet. Mm -hmm. But I can say that in Central America, cars just get stolen. I mean, you've had did you ever uh rent a car in Mexico? No, Ben, no, no. I don't uh, I don't rent a car when I go to Mexico ever. I don't blame you, man, because I remember if I remember correctly, even if you own your own car and you already have existing insurance and you let your insurance company know that you're going to take your car to Mexico, they charge you a different rate which goes by the day. Yeah, it's expensive and and Ah, boy, I've just heard of too many shenanigans happening at uh, the rental car return places, you know, like with uh, you bring a car back that's still in decent shape and then they call you a week later and tell you that that wrecked car that you brought back is still off the road and they're charging you for, you know, the daily fee, that whatever that would be, you know, the, their daily rental, I guess. There's a, there's stuff like that that happens. I don't know what happens all over the world, but I've heard of just too many times down in some of the resort cities in Mexico and, and I just – uh, I've just stayed away from it from the very beginning. I, I try to take the airport shuttle, yeah. uh, you know, from the hotel or something like that. I try to take a cab, you know, as long as it's the right licensing. And it, it's, it's again, you have to be cautious when you go to these places, you know, with what you do. And, and renting a car in Mexico is one of those things <laughs> I'm just really extra cautious about. And now we are on the verge of our top three most expensive places to own a car. We will tell you what those top three places are along with an important announcement after a word from our sponsor. Hi, I'm Laura Vanderkam. I'm a mother of five, an author, journalist, and speaker. And I'm Sarah Hart Unger, a mother of three, practicing physician, writer, and course creator. We are two working parents who love our careers and our families. On the Best of Both Worlds podcast each week, we share stories of how real women manage work, family, and time for fun. We talk all things planning, time management, organization, and more. We share what's worked for us and our listeners as we're building our careers and raising our families. We're here to cheer you on as you figure out how to make your days even more amazing. From figuring out childcare to mapping out long-term career goals, we want you to get the most out of life. Listen to Best of Both Worlds every Tuesday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm John Seifer. And I'm Jerry O'Shea. We spent over 30 years in the CIA uncovering global conspiracies. Conspiracies aren't just a theory to us, which is why we started our podcast, Mission Implausible. 
Everyone has questions about conspiracy theories, but with our background, we can actually answer those questions. We break open modern day conspiracies and tell you which elements may be the real deal. Like, did Bill Gates use COVID vaccines to microchip us all? We all do have tracking devices. Mm -hmm. We carry them around. We spend a lot of money on them. And what's actually on Hunter Biden's laptop? You are talking to the guy that has three of Hunter Biden's laptops and cell phone. And what did the deep state build under Denver airport? Do you think there are secret bunkers? That's just on my list of questions I have about Jesse Ventura. It's our mission to get to the heart of these conspiracy theories and figure out the why, the how, and especially the if. Listen to Mission Implausible on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. I'm excited to announce a new season of my podcast, Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. Our guests this season remind us to embrace change and fearlessly look toward the future. Like Andrew Jarecki, award-winning filmmaker and creator of Movie Phone. The studios didn't really control the theaters. The theaters didn't control the studios. And I thought, well, there's a window in here where I could make things easier for the consumer and also make something that would be very useful for the industry. Or Kellen Kenny, Chief Marketing and Growth Officer at AT&T, who installed fiber in customers' houses rather than leading from afar. It is so crucial that you spend time with the customers. That is the best lesson. In these exciting times, we're looking to the math, the strategy and analytics, and the magic, the creative spark more than ever. Listen to a brand new season of Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. We are back, Scott. I've got the I've got the announcement here. I'm uh, I'm opening my fake envelope. Okay. Of Scott and Ben's sudden realizations. Oh yeah, yeah. Yep. We we have had a sudden realization, and here it is. Uh, we are not going to be able to get to uh, the best and worst cities yet or the best and worst states. They are going to have to be an episode for a future date because we were exploring so many strange, interesting car cultures in other countries. Yeah, we still have three left. Yeah. So we'll get to those today. Yeah, we'll get but, to those. But we're just not going to get to the best and worst cities. And uh, that's some good information in that, too. We promise we'll get to that. It's going to happen in a an episode that's going to happen you know, very soon. We yeah. promise. Yeah. It'll happen. It has to. It does. Yeah, we've I already done the studying for it. Yeah, I can't take a loss on this no, one, Scott. I no. spent like all all weekend. All right. So where were we? We were at uh, we were at number three, right? Yes, we were. And number three is Indonesia, which might surprise some people, uh, but the problem is that the car prices there are, for a number of factors, just far in excess of what you would normally expect. I can provide some detail on this one if Please you'd like. Please do. All right. Yeah. So uh, so the price of that uh, that Scion FRS that we've been talking about through this whole episode in Indonesia instead of being what was it 365 I think mm -hmm. I said something like that uh, at the beginning it's $59,666. So that's essentially let's just call it double. It's double the uh, the MSRP here in the United States, right? So it's kind of crazy. The Indonesian car prices come with uh, with extra craziness. So so uh, that's according to uh, the person that wrote in here on this uh, this Jalopnik article, and they say that uh, the Prius, just a normal Prius. Yeah. Uh, so we talked about that price too. That was twenty four thousand, right? Right. Price of a uh, Prius in Indonesia about sixty thousand dollars. Sixty get that sixty grand oh. for a Prius. Oh, jeez. 
you know, we've got – let's pause here on this one for just a moment. Yeah, let's spend, spend some time. Let's spend some gentle reflection time. All right. Am I <laughs> – uh, Am I mistaken, or when you were talking about getting your your uh, your new vehicle, because you're you're still considering a new vehicle, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. Didn't you just for a moment say to me, shouldn't I should I consider a Prius? Yes. Did you say that? I asked. I asked what you thought of Priuses, and you said no way, no how. I immediately said no, and I'll tell you. And it's not that I hate the car or anything like that, but mm-hmm. we've got a coworker here. Her name is uh well we, I can just say it's Allison. Allison yeah. drives it. We've talked about Allison in the past. Remember yeah. the rats in a Prius? That's Allison the, Loudermilk. Yeah, that was the uh, the rats in a Prius story. She uh, she's driven a Prius for a while, and uh, she calls it this is her words the most boring car in the world. She just doesn't like it. It's her daily commuting car. I mean, it's a great car for getting around the city. It hauls the kids. It you know goes it goes wherever they need to because it's a hybrid, so they don't have to worry about you know having range anxiety or anything like that. You know, it's still gas fed. Yeah. However, it just has no style, no get up and go that she she really wants. It's just not it's just not the vehicle that she thought it was initially, I think. She was excited by the green factor of that vehicle, but not necessarily uh the performance. And I heard her husband, I think he drives something like a like a uh, Mini Cooper S, like the John Works edition or something. You know, it's like uh-huh. a special edition Mini. Right. And so it's got a lot of pep and it's a lot of fun to drive, but then they get in this one and it's just kind of kind of blah. And maybe that's part of it is that she's comparing it to the, her husband's car. It's a little different. Um, but again, I can't imagine paying $60,000 for a Prius. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I, I'm i not trying to completely come down on the Prius, but gosh, I mean, for $60,000, I think there's a lot of other choices you can, you can have. Maybe, maybe not in Indonesia. I don't think it's meant to be a $60,000 car. No, it's not. It's that's the thing. It's not priced that way and that's that's part of what's going on here. These these prices are just so jacked up because I mean, here's here's a term that I I think it's the first time we've come across this uh this term. So this uh this writer that wrote into the Jalapnik article and and kind of mentioned these prices in Indonesia. They they ask uh what about the Toyoburo? <laughs> Boy, I said it again. Toyoburo. Toyoburo. That's it. That's it. It's, I'm having trouble with that one. But what that means really is the Scion FRS and the uh, and the Subaru BRZ. Mm-hmm. I just haven't heard him call that. The twins, right? I like it. About $65,000. That's not a shock. I guess that must be the price for the BRZ uh, because, remember, we said the FRS is around 60000 And you go, hmm, what about a Chrysler 300C? <laughs> okay. Well, that's the you know, base price for that here in the United States is around thirty five six, right? Yeah. There in Indonesia, it's a one hundred and ten thousand dollars. You must be kidding. You want an M three, right? Yeah. All right, that's about sixty four thousand here in the United States, but that's one hundred and seventy five thousand in Indonesia. Okay. Oh, oh, oh okay. What about uh, something Italian like a four fifty eight? All right. So you want a Ferrari, right? Yeah. It's about two hundred and thirty thousand MSRP back in two thousand twelve here in the United States. Seven hundred thousand dollars in Indonesia. I, maybe maybe that's I crazy. should just go back and buy cars. <laughs> that's three times. Okay, all right, all right. Well, what about uh, an, a base model Rolls-Royce Ghost? Okay, that's about 305000 in the United States. I'm stepping it up. Still pretty expensive. Yeah. One million U.S. dollars in Indonesia. One million. So oh, we're going from 300000 up to a million. That's for insane. That's just the starting price. So, again, Indonesia is not too uh, – Car buyer friendly, I guess, new, new or used, really. And the reason, one of the primary reasons for that is the two hundred percent import tax. <laughs> All right, so there we go. That's the reason the uh, that's the reason the three hundred C is one hundred and what did I say, one hundred ten or one hundred seventy five? One hundred ten, yeah. I think. Crazy. All right, so yeah, I mean, 
again, these import taxes trying to get the new vehicles to that region, that part of the world is difficult. But then again, you've got the government playing a huge role in that, you know, the, the Indonesian government. And they are uh, just jacking things up so that, you know, they make as much money as they possibly can off of every sale. So in this hypothetical car buying extravaganza, you, Tyler, and I have had not very much luck. No. And so we say, hey, we're already in the neighborhood. Let's go to Malaysia, see how <laughs> things work out there because that's number two on the list. Number two on the list. Now, this is uh, – we're talking about Southeast Asia. It is uh, – well, the capital is what? Kuala Lumpur, I think. Mm-hmm. So that's a crowded city. You know, I can imagine that there's a lot of vehicles there. Uh, the problem is uh, – <laughs> <laughs> they, they don't have an understanding of what a um, what a luxury car is, I guess, as uh, as this writer put it. Mm-hmm. Um, they say that in Malaysia, the, uh, the uh, here's that word again, the toil toil There you go. I think I got it. That say time. it like it's a guy's name, and you're yelling at him for doing something wrong. Toil Yep. Twins <laughs> cost around seventy five thousand dollars new. So that's a, equivalent to what we just saw in Indonesia, right? So right. The same region of the world. I guess I can kind of understand this. Um, the Mercedes SLS AMG costs around $600,000 brand new. Holy cow. Oof. All right. Um, oh, here. Okay, this is what they're talking about. Now, uh, when they said that they didn't have a problem understanding what a luxury car is, mm-hmm. we talked about that with the Toyota Corolla too, right? Uh, here it comes again, back on the list, You know, another crazy vehicle being called a luxury car. They say this is where a beige mobile such as the Accord or Camry are considered a luxury car. Oh, they're funny. They called it a beige mobile. Yeah. Um, many Malaysian spec cars lack and safety feet, lot, lot and safety features. Sorry, this is a little broken English I'm trying to read. Uh, it lacks a lot of safety features, but still hold a high price. They don't, they don't back it down because it's less safe. Due to these high excise taxes and, and a protection policy for our local car maker Proton, uh, many people here can only dream of owning a BRZ or even a Miata, a Mazda Miata. Mm-hmm. So, what they're saying is, like, you want to buy a Proton, no problem. We've got those. You can buy those all day long. If you want to import a car, you know, something that's not made here in Malaysia, that's where you have the trouble. That's where we're going to, you know, throw on the 200% import price or, you know, whatever right. whatever it was in Indonesia. And so we arrive, yep. Scott, after a long and, frankly, uh, ill-fated journey trying to buy a car in foreign countries, you, Tyler, and I take one last shot at uh, the the worst decision we could have made in this situation. <laughs> Tyler, can we have a drum roll for this, please? Perfect. All right. So number one, the worst, Singapore. The worst. No, it's right near Malaysia, right? Uh-huh. I mean, it's very, very close. So we're talking about the same area. This is an island city state off of the, uh, the southern part of Malaysia. So it's right there. Um, the price of a new Scion FRS that we've been talking about the whole episode. Right. This is crazy, Ben. $135,421 plus you never know what they're going to throw on top of that, right? Right. All right. So $135,400 for this car that cost us here in the United States about 35, 36, somewhere in there. Uh-huh. Uh, Prius. If you want to look at a Prius, that's about $154,000 for a Prius at the same time in Singapore. So Singapore is Far and away, the, uh, the the most expensive country to buy and own a car. Now, of course, they've got uh, reasons for this. Of course, strict government regulations, very strict government regulations. I would guess that they're trying to get you to buy, you know, those protons from over in Malaysia or something. Huh. Um, that's probably part of it. There's 100% taxes at least, if not 200% like you had talked about for the imports, mm-hmm. right? So if you want to bring in anything, whether that's a, a used car, a new car, whatever, you're going to pay that price. Um, and there's also requirements of... Um, 
there's something called a certificate of entitlement. Yeah. So uh, the certificate of entitlement concept is one of the more controversial and heavily debated public policies in Singapore. Here's how it works. You have to have one to get a car. Let's say you you get past the very high import taxes and you've made your peace with the idea that you're in general not going to be allowed to modify your car. Sure. Both of those are bummers and they're true. Yep. Uh, whether you're buying a car or a motorcycle, you have to bid for a thing called a certificate of entitlement and that means that each month they the government allows a certain number of certificate of entitlement or COEs to be released for bidding and if you are successful which is a big if and an expensive if the entitlement is valued valid for 10 years from the date of the registration the whole point of this is singapore's terrified of, of drowning in cars mm. and they want to with this scheme keep long-term vehicle population growth at about 3% a year. A couple things are uh, exempted from this, school buses, public buses, ambulances and stuff. So wait a minute. So what if you're a private – but not for private citizens, right? Nope. So if you're a private citizen, you can't just say like, well, it's a school bus. I can drive that wherever I want because it takes up that takes up eight times the space. Of you whatever. can try, but God only knows. We have to do our own episode <laughs> on how to get – Get around. Okay, Singapore, Singapore, Singapore is densely populated. I mean, it's yeah. it really is. So you know, keeping growth, you know, like new car growth at three percent. That's uh, I mean, they're doing it artificially. Obviously, they're trying to do that so that, um, as you said, they won't you know be drowning in cars. I mean, look at look at photos of of Singapore right now. You'll see that the, the streets are crowded already. Right. I mean, it's uh, it's it's. I can see where it could quickly become a huge problem for them if it hasn't already. Right. And I know that some people will say – will argue, well, at least there's a price you can attach, which makes it different from Cuba, for instance, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, and in Singapore, at least we know that there are members of the population who will have the scratch or the cheddar to pay these ridiculous prices. Sure. I can see that. But still, this is prohibitively expensive. You can't do multiple bids. Oh, this also doesn't count your uh, registration fees. Uh, this all also changes when you are, uh, depending on if you're a private citizen, private individual, excuse me, or a company car owner. And uh, you have a separate thing. They're called road taxes. This oh. is just okay. You know what? I, I, this, this is Susian, man. Yeah, so so Singapore is just far and away the uh, the most expensive country to buy and own a car in. So uh, just stay away from there if you uh, if you are an enthusiast, right? Because that yeah. would be a difficult place to live. Uh, also, stay away from Malaysia. Stay away from Cuba. Stay away. You know, <laughs> I mean, the whole every everyone on the list is a, is a bad place to be. I guess if you're an enthusiast, really, because you just can't get what you want, or it's gonna the rules are always changing. It's an ever changing you know game board that you're trying to play with, and it just isn't gonna work. If you do, uh, if you do have experience. Experience buying cars in these markets. First off, congratulations, uh, you are brilliant, uh, or very lucky, or and, crazy, or crazy, yeah. or all three. Uh, <laughs> and we would like to hear your story. Uh, Scott and I are going to call it a day for now and uh, head out on. Let's see, I've got a little driving ahead of me today, and I am probably going to be in a good mood about it.
No. You know what I mean? Yeah, sure. Yeah, because we're in, we're in a great place right now, right? Yeah. I mean, and uh, I would guess that wherever people are listening right now, they either feel like the same, yeah. that they're in a great place, or uh, maybe they're in one of these uh, mm-hmm. places that's not so great for enthusiasts. And but we're not, we'd love to hear it. Yeah, we're not dinging any – we're not dinging these countries because in many cases what they're doing is their level best – to institute a policy that they feel will have benefits down the road for the most, the highest number of people. Uh, do we agree with it? I'm going to say no. <laughs> you know what, Ben? Some, in some, some that's the case, but others, I think it's just strictly, it's all about money for the government. It really is. You think so? Oh, in, in several of those, yes. Yeah, it's Absolutely. No benefit. Absolutely, yeah. So, I mean, I think there's a, a mix here of just, well, okay. There's a there's a big mix of things happening here. Of we, uh, well-intentioned, uh, well-intentioned politicians, and then straight up corrupt embezzlers. Absolutely. Oh wow. Absolutely. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, yeah. I and so several of the places we've talked about. But uh, but you're right. I would I would love for uh, people to call in and or call in. Boy, what what year are we in? We should get a call in. We number. should. Yeah. That'd be cool. We <laughs> could trade tra- people's suggestions on people, air. People. <laughs> we could have live episodes. I guess that'd be kind of cool. All right. So, anyways, uh, people should write in with any kind of suggestions that they may have. Or yeah. uh, we've got. What we've got Facebook, we're, we're mm-hmm. uh, Car Stuff HSW. We've got Twitter, again Car Stuff HSW. We have Instagram now, which yeah, is all true. new to us. Yeah. And uh, and of course, you can always write in. We're uh, we're always reading our email. We're always replying to email. I'm trying to. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you can do that. And we've got an address, and that is Car Stuff at HowStuffWorks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. Let us know what you think. Send an email to podcast at HowStuffWorks.com. Hi, I'm Laura Vanderkam. I'm a mother of five, an author, journalist, and speaker. And I'm Sarah Hart Unger, a mother of three, practicing physician, writer, and course creator. We are two working parents who love our careers and our families. On the Best of Both Worlds podcast each week, we share stories of how real women manage work, family, and time for fun. From figuring out childcare to mapping out long-term career goals, we want you to get the most out of life. Listen to Best of Both Worlds every Tuesday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Vanessa Bayer, and this is my brother, Jonah. And we are so excited to have you hear the latest season of our nostalgia-themed podcast, How Did We Get Weird? Not only do you get to know me and my brother, you get to know the stories that made us the absolutely rad people we are today. Like you, Jonah, who's a music person and also a mental health counselor. And you, Vanessa, who is an actress, comedian, and I think you even wrote a children's book. Wow. I sure did. Check out our episodes where we've welcomed hilarious guests like our friend Andy Samberg. That's it. That's really it. And Queen Casey Wilson. I really went cart before the horse. I said, I think I have an opportunity to interview Leonardo DiCaprio. (laughs) As a high school student. Plus, legendary sisters Amber Ruffin and Lacey Lamar. You would pull the bag out and then we would eat the eat all the leftover the leftover chocolate chips which was a lot then you'd roll the oh, barrel up so to fun. up the hill and then one of us would get inside the barrel and they'd push you down and we've also had an amazing guests like mike the miz jason isbell carrie brownstein and corin tucker of slater kinney and many more and you do not want to miss out on our funny segments like change.dork <laughs> change.dork and congratulations you played yourself Congratulations, you played yourself. Listen to our podcast, How Did We Get Weird, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
John Stewart is back in the host chair at The Daily Show, which means he's also back in our ears on The Daily Show Ears Edition podcast. Join late night legend John Stewart and the best news team for today's biggest headlines, exclusive extended interviews, and more. Now this is a second term we can all get behind. Listen to The Daily Show Ears Edition on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.